I invite you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 14. Romans 14. Let me begin our time in the Word together with a word of prayer. Oh, great God, you deserve our full attention. You speak, and we want to listen. You are worthy of all of our affection and all of our love that we can muster up, even though it is slight compared to what you deserve. So we come before you and ask for your help, because we cannot um, understand your word, we cannot apply your word without your Holy Spirit in us um, doing that work. And so we pray that even as we open this text today, your word, that you would speak and that you would um, yeah, challenge our hearts and, and give us uh, real things that we can walk away with that we can apply so that you would get the glory. And so we're asking for your help now as we come to your word. For your glory we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there's lots of people on the scale of people who are convinced of something, right? There are some people who are not convinced of anything, right? Well, oh, I don't really know. I don't really have an opinion on that. I, I don't know if I could have an opinion. They're not very convinced. They're not people who are um, persuaded in their own opinions. But those people are normally the ones who are easily persuaded. If they don't have a position they're holding strongly, they're normally um, can be persuaded, right? Because, well, if you say so, it's better than my opinion, which I don't really hold. Right? And so uh, a person without much persuasion, without much conviction, can be persuaded. Uh, we also have people on that end of the spectrum that uh, we call them gullible, right? Easily persuaded. You can persuade them to believe anything. Uh, I once worked with a guy, his name was Jesse, and we worked in a group home together, and I convinced him that we were re- reusing wet wipes, you know? We were like cleaning up messes with these things, and I convinced him we were reusing these wet wipes. All I had to do to persuade him was hang a few wet wipes up in the bathroom, and I said, dude, budget cuts. And he said, are you kidding me? So the next hour, I find Jesse still complaining about the wet wipes and the budget cuts as he's washing disgusting mess out of these wipes. And he's like, man, I just can't believe this. I'm going to make a complaint. And I was like, you are so gullible. And that was not the first time that I, that I persuaded Jesse to believe me on something. When the SARS outbreak was happening, I convinced him that we had SARS in the group home. Uh, I, I knew he was showing up to work at a certain time, and so I made everybody wear masks. And uh, he comes in the door with a big Slurpee. He's like, are you kidding me? So then he couldn't enjoy his Slurpee. But I let him, I just let it happen for like an hour until I said, you know what, I was just kidding. Um, I I know that was probably wrong of me to lie to Jesse, but uh, it's fun to mess with gullible people because they're easily persuaded. And he didn't have very strong convictions. uh, 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 Or even thinking about that, it's like, because he was so easily persuaded, like he didn't do much thinking of his own. He just said, oh, whatever you say. Which shows he trusted me, and I broke that trust. I understand. And you understand, too. Some people maybe have done that to you, have fooled you, or lied to you. Or maybe you're on the other end, like I, myself, uh, am often the persuader. Uh, But anyways, we have people on that end of the spectrum who are, are light in their conviction, easily persuaded, not so heavy on their own persuasions. But then you have people on the opposite end, right? Are so persuaded that if you do not even acknowledge their position as the only one that's right... You are the worst person in the world. And so they're going to spend their entire life trying to persuade you. They're going to send you letters every five days. They're going to send you text messages. They're going to make every conversation about the opinion they have. 
And here's the thing. There is a right thing to be persuaded on and a right thing to try to persuade people about. We want to persuade people about the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is the only way of salvation. So there are things to persuade people and say, I am not backing down, and, I, and you do need to believe this gospel. There's not a million ways to, G, to heaven. There is only one Savior. Not all people are good, and not all good people get to heaven. Those are things that we ought to try to persuade people away from false belief. But there are opinions, as we've, looking, as we've been looking at in here in Romans 14, there are opinions that are secondary, that we can disagree on, and tertiary, things that it doesn't really matter. The spouses can disagree on and yet still be uh, in love and for each other. And so uh, when you have those secondary and tertiary things, they'll take the forefront, and that person tries to persuade everyone else then you have contention, you have division, and you have uh, absolute lack of unity, and it's just not good for that body, that family, that uh, church family, whatever it may be. So here, in Romans 14, we've been looking at this concept of, of unity, really. Uh, the whole text is about unity, but it's about unity in diversity, uh, which is just shocking, because at a time that we are in right now, this, we're in this pandemic even amongst us, we have differing opinions on um, the vaccine. Should you take it? Should you not? Um, should, should, should churches gather? Is that loving to their neighbors or is it not loving? You know, is it disobeying God to uh, not gather at this time or is it disobeying God to gather? We have do- lots of opinions about how this coronavirus has impacted the way that we, even as a church, operate and, and families have dis- disagreements about these things too. And so, it's really hard, but it's, it's God's timing that we've come to Romans 14 uh, at this time because of this potential for division that could rob us of the true unity we need. So Romans 14 is a gift to us. I want to read uh, to us um, from Romans 14. I'm going to begin at verse 1 for context's sake, and I'll read up through 14 uh, where we will uh, look at one verse today. Romans chapter 14, verse 1. Let's hear God's word. As for the one who is weak in the faith, welcome him. Do not quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld. For the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another person esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the other one abstains. He abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, 
Each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. For I know, and I am persuaded in the Lord, that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. May this word flourish in our hearts. So here I want to specifically look at verses uh, 5 and 6, and then we'll tap into uh, verse 14. But 5 and 6, and here we have this phrase um, in the middle, uh, sorry, at the end of verse 5. Everyone should be fully convinced in his own mind. That's the idea that we're going to hone in on today, is being fully convinced in your own mind, being persuaded, being uh, convicted in your own mind. Let's take a look at that phrase for a second. So it's referring to, and I love the beginning of the verse because it just reminds us um, what's happening in the context, what, what they're thinking about. So one person esteems one day as better than another. So they would keep the Sabbath. They think, you know, Saturday is the Sabbath. You have to worship uh, God on the Sabbath um, and Sabbath only. And obviously other days and festivals. They esteem one day is better, so in festival days too. Well, the other person esteems all days alike, saying, listen, all days are God's days. Um, yes, we would dedicate a certain day to the Lord, but it's not set in stone, and it's not like God's going to not love us if we don't meet on a, on a Saturday, which is the original Sabbath, um, or in our case, the Lord's Day, Sunday. God's not going to love us less if we don't meet on Sunday. If we happen to pack up and say we can only meet on Mondays, um, God's not going to love us less. And it's really strange, right? I had this conversation recently, I think with uh, a group after church, and it's just like, I do struggle with that. Like, if all of a sudden we said, no, you know what, we have to do church on Saturday instead, I'd really struggle with that. I guess I'm just a traditionalist, like, uh, and there's something sacred to me about Sunday, but yet it's not Sunday. Yes, it's the Lord's Day. We do it Sunday specifically because that's the day, historically, that Jesus rose from the grave, and so we celebrate that. But it doesn't mean we can't not do it on a Saturday. And so I struggle personally with that. Uh, wrestling. So I have this, I think, an inclination here in this to be the one person who esteems one day better than the others, but I'm not set in stone and I'm not fully convinced on it. But here, Paul's saying that there are these two different people, two different opinions, and he's speaking specifically about the days. He spoke earlier about their diet as well, but he says, okay, there's two different people, two different opinions. They both love the Lord. And then the second half of verse five says, each one, so each, each of those people should be fully convinced in his own mind. So, beginning with the words, each one, in his own mind, you realize that it is an individual examination. That these people ought to examine their own hearts and their own minds. Each one. It's not like um, there has to be this uniform cookie cutter, what does a Christian look like when it comes to opinions about everything? Obviously, we would like that. But at the same time, it would be dangerous. We wouldn't be free thinkers. We wouldn't have the ability to wrestle over texts which are sometimes ambiguous in the Bible. Or, or sometimes, uh, you know, good brothers in, in Christ and sisters in Christ can disagree on a, on a text. And, and it's, it's end conclusion. We, we realize the goal is the glory of God. But sometimes we disagree about the interpretation of a text. And uh, obviously, if you are one of those people who are the strong persuader who wants to persuade everyone to your opinion, you would say, no, baloney. Everyone needs to believe this text this way. And if you don't, you're wrong. And I don't know if I can worship with you. Um, those people are exhorted in this text to calm down, 
<laughs> to, to settle down for the sake of unity, for the sake of really the gospel going forth. Because we know Jesus says, you know, when we are united, when we are one, it's going to show the world that Jesus was sent and that he is of the Father. And so then if we are splintering ourselves over secondary or, or tertiary issues, then we are splintering the testimony and the witness of Christ himself in the Godhead. We don't want to do that. And so that's why here it says, Paul's exhorting us, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. You make up your mind. Each one individually. So you might be a part of a family unit, a husband and wife. But guess what? A wife needs to be fully convinced in her own mind. And a husband needs to be fully convinced in his own mind. Each one needs to have a conviction. When, when a husband comes to faith in Christ and a wife does not, the wife is not a Christian. Because each one needs to be fully convinced of the position they hold, of the faith they have. When, a parents, when, when parents take their children to church, parents, their faith do not rub off on their kids. The child, each one, needs to be examining themselves. Is this my faith? Is this my belief? Is this my conviction? In his own mind, each one. So it says each one should be fully convinced. Fully convinced. What does that mean to be fully convinced or fully persuaded? It means that you, each, each of you have individually examined yourself. And concluded something. You've had an opinion about something. So in this example, uh, they are talking about which day is holy. And some say, you know, there's a specific day that's holy. Others say, all days are God's days. And uh, God's not going to love us less if we don't celebrate that feast or festival or worship on a certain day. So they were, in, in their own hearts, trying to determine their individual examination. What am I convicted of? What am I convinced of? What has God shown me? What do I feel is right or feel is wrong? What am I convinced of? What am I fully persuaded on? Fully persuaded. Or are you just in the muddy middle? Or do you think that you can be in the muddy middle about positions like um, biblical marriage? You think, oh, well, I can, yeah, I can just be... I don't have to be fully convinced one way or the other. You know, I can just kind of allow this to happen, but then kind of say I believe this. You can't. You have to be fully convinced in your own mind. Fully convinced. He wants us to be so examining ourselves, each one so examining ourselves, that we could be fully convinced. Not just partially convinced, because here's the thing. If you're going to hold a conviction, you're going to hold a position that you're going to live out of, like these people were, especially the ones who esteemed a certain day. If you're going to be living out of that conviction and, and abiding by it, and maybe they were struggling to press that on other people too, right? They were trying to press their convictions on other people. Either way, if you are holding that position, you have to be fully convinced of it. Um, especially if you want to say that this is the right way to honor God. Be fully convinced. Don't be half-hearted. And that's the thing, is if you are not fully convinced about certain positions you hold, you need to examine yourself more and, and ask why. Why am I not fully convinced? Um, in, in 14, it says, yeah, in verse 14, it says, this is where Paul, Paul says, I know and I am persuaded... In the Lord that, that nothing is unclean in and of itself. So he's persuaded. Paul is fully convinced. 
that you can eat whatever. There's no dietary restrictions for a Christian. He is fully convinced of that. He says, I know for a fact, <clears throat> and I am persuaded in the Lord that nothing is unclean. So he's persuaded, but he's talking to a group where some people are convinced that it is, that there are unclean things. And so then he ends that sentence. I love the end of verse 14. It says, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. You, you understand the flexibility Paul just allowed there? He says, I'm convinced, I'm fully convinced with all of my theological knowledge, all of my interaction with God, all of my um, leading of the Holy Spirit, I am fully convinced that I can eat anything, that I can eat, in his example, pork. <clears throat> but he says, if there is a person fully convinced that it is a sin to eat pork, then to him it is a sin. It is a sin. He says, but it is unclean. Which is crazy. He says, nothing's unclean. And, and Jesus himself said that, right, to Peter. He brought the sheet down before Peter. He says, nothing's unclean, Peter. So Jesus himself has said that, right? Nothing is unclean. But second half of verse 14 says, it is unclean if anyone thinks it's unclean. So he's talking about the person who is fully convinced in their mind that it is wrong for me to eat pork, or it is wrong for me, it is a sin for me to consume alcohol, or it is a sin for me to, for a woman to not wear a head covering or not wear a skirt, it is a sin for me. He says to those people, it is sin. And so if they're fully convinced that it is a sin to, to not wear a skirt for a woman, for example, let's take that. If they're convinced that it is a sin, that it is a sin against God, then it is a sin to them if they disobey that conviction. If they're fully convinced in their heart that it's wrong against God and they go ahead and do it anyways, he says, it's unclean. It is wrong. It is sin. And they should not do that. That's amazing. It is amazing thought what that means. <laughs> because you think about the spectrum of opinions, right? And he's allowing for that spectrum. But within that, he says, you ought to be fully convinced because if you waver from your position, you are in sin. You're holding to this persuasion. You're holding and saying that this is what God wants for my life. This is God's will. This is what uh, pleases God. He says, be convinced of it. Because if you step outside of it, you're in sin. Even if another brother doesn't think so, even if it is kind of a, a weak kind of faith, even if it refers to this dietary restrictions here or esteeming one day uh, above all is when Jesus said no, um, if you are fully convinced and you live another way, you're in sin. So there's a, a real, you need to really examine yourself. What do I believe? And how fully convinced am I of it? Because if I'm convinced of something, I ought to be fully convinced so that I'm not going to sin against God in my own heart, in my own life. Paul said in verse 14, you see, I know and I am persuaded. Here's how he's persuaded. In the Lord. He's persuaded not only by the, the Holy Spirit in him, not only by um, the text that he has before him, but in the Lord, it, meaning, I believe, I am persuaded that this is what the Lord would have. It's, this is the will of the Lord. This is what God has revealed in Jesus Christ. Or, this honors the Lord. That's why I'm convinced of it. I'm persuaded in the Lord because of what he has said, because of what he has done, that he has, he has made all things clean, that he has, he has taken away the um, Mosaic law as, as a... Um, a trap for us, or, or we're not slaves to the law anymore. So that's why Paul's fully persuaded. And verse 14 says, but I love that second half. It's really challenging. But it is wrong. It is unclean 
for anyone who thinks it is unclean. <clears throat> he has this discussion also in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, I'm going to read some for you. The same sort of discussion happens there. And, and you'll know the first part of it. Um, it's well known. He says, all things are lawful. Verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 10. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. For if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you're disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising the question on ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you, for the sake of conscience. Conscience. So think about that word. It's been repeated. I'll come back to it. But he says, I don't mean your own conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced? Because of that for which I give thanks. So, he says, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. <clears throat> so there that discussion he has is about conscience. He mentions the word um, four times, five times in that text. Conscience. What is a conscience but being fully convinced that something is right or something is wrong? In your mind, you are persuaded that something is right or something is wrong. And Paul says that you can go ahead and eat any meat offered at the market without having to break your conscience because it's, it's right to eat. Your conscience should be clear when you eat meat. Because obviously we know Paul from Romans 14, 4 says, I'm persuaded that all meat is, eat, is good to eat, right? <clears throat> so then he says here, go ahead and eat it. You don't have to raise question or ground to your conscience. Your conscience should be in check. It should be right. And then he says, but if someone says to you, this meat has been offered in a sacrifice. If it's been offered up uh, to an idol, he says, then don't eat it. He says, but not because of your own conscience. Because your conscience is still clean. It's meat, it's meat and idols a false god who gives a rip. That's what he's saying. Your conscience doesn't need to be seared if you eat that meat. But he says, for the conscience of the other man who knows who knows that it's been offered up to an idol? Who knows that you do not worship idols? For his conscience, don't eat it. Because he says there in verse 29, I don't mean your conscience, but his. It's for the sake of his conscience. Don't eat the thing. And so in, in Romans 14, it's referring to the same thing. Because as we roll out Romans 14, you realize we're not supposed to do things. Even if we're convinced in our own mind, we are not supposed to do them if they cause a brother to stumble. Or if it's going to sear their conscience, right? <clears throat> Alcohol is a great example in our day. Uh, in the early 20th century, uh, up through really uh, 1990s, uh, it was just known that drinking alcohol was a sin. Full stop. Doesn't matter. You have a sip of it, it's a sin. It was just that's, that was the thing that was preached from the pulpit. And, and then you realize, like, well, nowhere in the Bible does it say that. And so. Unfortunately, pendulum has swung the other way sometimes, and some think they're way too, you know, I have the license to do whatever I want with alcohol. That's wrong, too. We know the Bible says drunkenness is a sin. And so that's why, sure, it had a great motivation, the idea that alcohol uh, is wrong. It had a great motivation. The motivation was, well, if you have too much, it's going to cause you to sin, so let's avoid it altogether. Great motivation, 
but a wrong application, right? But unfortunately, the application became, well, this is my conscience. Some people, some pastors said, well, it's my conscience that alcohol is wrong, and it's wrong for me, so they're going to make it wrong for everybody else. And that's not okay, according to Romans 14. But that happened, right? And so we see that they were fully convinced, but then they tried to persuade others rather than allowing each one to be fully convinced in their own mind. But if you are convinced in your own mind, don't go ahead and do something which might cause another brother to stumble. If I'm in the presence of a brother who thinks it's a sin to drink alcohol, I won't drink alcohol. Vice versa. I don't drink alcohol, but I don't think it's a sin. But that's the case that you have to think about here. But each one should be fully convinced. Well, how do you be fully convinced in your own mind? How do you have your conscience right? How do you have full persuasion? Well, it says, each one should be convinced in his own mind. And that's where it comes back to that discussion I just had about pastors who pushed an agenda for a really long time. So people weren't convinced maybe in their own mind. Maybe they were. Maybe they were really persuaded to believe this way. And then it just became everyone was that way. Everyone's convinced. And so we were all persuaded. But we really must examine whether it's our own mind. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The mind being something that is engaged, it, it kind of points to the center of our thought life, our moral life, our, our heart life. Your mind should be convinced. Your own mind. Not your parents. Just because they go to church and they love the Lord doesn't mean you do. Or not your kids. Or not your spouse. Your own mind. What, what is the convictions that you hold? And, and really... Why do you hold them? Each one should be convinced in his own mind. This means that it's not only individual, you judging other Christians based on your opinions, but it is your own. Not your parents or your pastor or some favorite Bible teacher. Your convictions should be your own. And that's really hard, right? Because uh, you do hold positions that are in line with, hopefully, your, your spouse and your, your church and your favorite Bible teacher's you can hold those same positions, but do you hold them only because it's that person? Or do you hold them because you're convinced? You are convinced that you'd be able to, and that's the hard thing, right? Because some people say, well, I wouldn't be able to argue that. Um, I know I believe it, but I wouldn't be able to argue it. Well, that's a problem. Because it means you're not fully convinced of your own. You're fully convinced because someone you trust is convinced. And so you just trust them. And then maybe that shows an evidence of laziness in yourself, that you're just too lazy to become fully convinced. Um, you're too lazy to be persuaded on your own because that takes time and effort and, and prayer and study. And so that's really hard. Um, but we ought to be convicted of, our, of our, our opinions by ourselves, on our own, our own basis. It means at the end of the day that if you're going to live out your conviction, like for example here in Romans um, verse five, 14.5, uh, they were allowed to live out their convictions uh, about thinking one day is holy and the other is thinking no day is specific to God um, in a, in a, in a law-abiding way. They were allowed to do that. But if you're going to live out that conviction, it's going to change the way you live. You must have your own conviction. You must have your own. And, and that applies to the gospel too. Why do you believe the gospel? The only way a person who truly believes the gospel genuinely has faith in Christ is because it was their own. It doesn't matter what someone else um, believes. It doesn't matter how deep their faith is. You have to have your own faith, right? Your own persuasion. You have to be persuaded that you're a sinner. And so, sometimes people can help persuade you. 
But you have to be persuaded. Someone else can't be convicted on your behalf. They can't be angry at your sin and you go, yep, thank you for your anger. I recognize that and I think I need Jesus. No, you need to be in your own heart, wrecked by your own sinfulness. You need to realize your own plight that you will go to hell if your sin is not forgiven. You need to be convinced of that. And then you need to be convinced that Jesus Christ came for you. That he stood in your place. You need to be convinced of that. That your sin was on him that day. That everything that you think of, everything that you have uh, done wrong against God, everything that haunts you, everything that plagues you, that makes you feel guilty and shame, was on Christ. You need to be convinced of that. And then when you, in in faith, just, just believe that and you trust, you also need to be convinced in your own self that he died for you and he rose for you. You need to be convinced in your own mind. Right? That's the only way a person ever has genuine faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You will not have a relationship with the Lord if you're not convinced in your own mind. And so if it's that important in our uh, relationship with Christ then, in our coming to faith in him then, why wouldn't it be that same way in our ongoing convictions and our living out that faith in the Lord? We need to have a place. Uh, we need to have our own convictions on our own mind, not placed by another So then we ask some questions. Well, who am I convinced by? What am I convinced for? And why am I convinced? Why am I convinced? So, why? Why am I convinced that this is the position I hold? Why were these, uh, in, in the Roman church, why were they convinced that there was a day that was specific that would please God if they worshiped on it? Why were they convinced? Well, 1 Corinthians 10 says we ought to be convinced in order that we would build up. It says in verse 24, 1 Corinthians 10, it said, Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. So that's, that should be the why in terms of even um, part of our position and how we're rolling out that conviction, how we're living it out is, well, why do I believe this and why maybe am I wanting to persuade others? Well, the only reason you should want to persuade others is if it is for their good and if it is um, not considering your own. You're not trying to just boast yourself up. You're not just trying to feel good. But instead, you think it's for their good. And, and it depends on the level of conviction that it has and, and the theological tier it's in. Whether it's a first tier issue is how hard you're going to try to persuade someone. It's okay. You know, you might have a, a third tier issue that you think is pretty important. And it's okay to try to convince other people. But not to press it on them and not to say that they are an unbeliever. Not to say that they are not welcome in your presence because they don't agree. And so you have to ask the hard question is, why? Why am I convinced of this? Am I convinced in my heart that everything is okay? Do I try to convince myself? Am I fully persuaded that everything's okay in my life? Why? Is it because I just have a pride issue and I don't want to admit that something might be wrong? Why am I persuaded that someone else is wrong? And I'm persuaded, I'm fully convinced that they were wrong to me. Is it so that you can have an excuse towards bitterness? You have to really question why you're persuaded about opinions about people, opinions about God, and about the Christian life. Why? In your heart, why are you convinced? And what's the end goal of your conviction? What's the end goal? Why? Uh, What for does your conviction do when it's played out? And who are you convinced by? Well, we are to be convinced here, as Paul had said in, in in verse 14, He's convinced in the Lord. He's persuaded in the Lord. It's in his word. That's where the conviction comes from. 
It's not necessarily from another person. Another person might introduce you to a conviction or might introduce you to an idea, but it is in the Lord where you get fully convinced in his word and in relationship with him. And it's there that you can stand on your conviction. So what's the end goal of it all? You see in verse 5 here, one person esteems one day is better than the other. The other person esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Verse 6, the one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. Well, the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. The end goal is honor to the Lord. Your conviction should always be the end goal of, I want to be convinced so that I might honor the Lord. I want to live this way so I might honor the Lord. That's my goal. My goal, even in trying to maybe tell others about my conviction, is not to convince them to be like me. My goal is that they may honor the Lord. So, in this example, if those people in their heart are honoring the Lord by esteeming another day, then let them honor the Lord. Do not rob that from them because also, as we uh, read later, um, if, as Paul said in 14, 14, is if it is unclean to them, then it's unclean. So don't try to convince them to do something that is to them sin, right? Don't do that because that would not honor the Lord. And so when you remember the end goal is honor to the Lord, then it also helps you remember how you're going to address other people who disagree because this example is perfect, Two people honoring the Lord in their conviction. If one says, no, you must. You must worship on this other day. If you don't, um, then you're wrong. And they say, well, if I do that, I'm not going to honor the Lord in my heart. Well, we strive for unity. We strive for the glory to God in each other's hearts. So that's the end goal, is honor the Lord. And it's hard, too, because we know that there is abuse of that, right? We're like, oh, I think this honors the Lord, and I think that honors the Lord. And, you know, even you think of uh, Muslim extremists who think that it honors God to, um, to do jihad, to, to kill others for the sake of conversion, and uh, they think it honors God. And so how do you draw that boundary? Well, Tom Schreiner says, Paul can tolerate diverse practices which do not violate any biblical or moral norm as long as they are motivated by the glory of God. The same is true, should be true for us, end quote, is that uh, we can tolerate diverse practices in in family, in in church, in life, as long as it does not violate biblical norms. And so that's where the full conviction really comes in. You really have to be fully persuaded of your own position from the word of God in the Lord. Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do, in word or in deed, Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to the Father through him. Whatever you do, it doesn't necessarily matter what uh, opinion you hold on on this idea of the days. Obviously, in Romans 14 context as well, we remember that one is a weaker in the faith, one is newer to the faith, one is um, immature position. But if you do it, do it in honor of the Lord. Do it in thanks to the Lord. Do it so that he might get glory and that you're giving thanks to him. You're doing what you're doing in order to give thanks to God. It says that in our verse in verse 6 as well. Since he gives thanks to God. And then at the end, and gives thanks to God. 1 Corinthians 10, that passage that I discussed earlier about conscience, it also ends in the same way. 
So whether you eat or whether you drink and whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So it's about honoring the Lord in your heart, setting him above all things, not your opinion, not your pride, not your ability to be right, but God. That's the goal. Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people. So your conviction, you being fully convinced, is not for people, but it should be for the Lord. You should be able to stand with your conviction before the Lord and say, I'm fully persuaded and I'm going to do this thing for you. And you should be able to know that he would say yes and amen. And thank you. That I feel great gratitude from your actions. Great gratitude, great glory from you living out that conviction. You should be able to have those sort of convictions about many things. And so the question is, do you? Are you just a person who says, well, I don't really have many convictions. And um, you're just really open to persuasion, which is dangerous. Dangerous. And that's why we have the church, right? Ephesians chapter 4 says that, that, that we, uh, my job is to equip you for the work of ministry, that you might um, encourage one another in the faith, you might grow one another in the faith, because we don't want to be immature children who are tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. That person can be easily persuaded by the next big thing, easily persuaded by fancy words or a dangling a carrot in front of them. That's immaturity in the faith. And so the, the goal and the job of the church is we're going to grow each other up. We're going to always strive to point each other to the, to the honor and the glory of his name, living lives of gratitude to God. We want to be encouraging one another, doing the work of ministry in each other so that unity would be the core so the, the glory flows from that because a life of a person just being persuaded and tossed to and fro from every wind of doctrine is not going to glorify God in the way that he deserves. The amazing thing here is in this verse, verses 5 and 6 in Romans chapter 14, it wasn't about holy days. It was about holy people. At the end of the day, it wasn't about the days. It was about the people. And the people being fully convinced in their own minds of how they might honor the Lord. How they might give thanks to him. People committed to serving God and his glory. Seeing that whatever they did, whatever practices they held, they served to exalt God in their own hearts and in the hearts of others. That's the goal. Including the food or the drink or the days or the dress or the opinions on everything else. Is it in honor of the Lord and are you fully convinced? And, and, and because if you are fully convinced, you are you are better able to live out that conviction, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, without needing to think about your conscience, thinking whether it's right or wrong. You, you know that it honors the Lord. And so you're going to pursue it. And sometimes, you know what, that needs to be in check. That's why we live in community. That's why we live in the body of Christ. It needs to be in check. Sometimes you think something honors the Lord and it doesn't. And so you need a community of faith to surround you, to show you great examples, to show you the word. And, and over time, you could be fully convinced also by the word and by the example of God producing fruit in other people. You can be fully convinced. Your conviction can change, and it should. It should mature. It should grow. But when you hold a conviction, it should be your own, and it should be a full conviction. And just, just keep in mind, verse 14, what is said there. Like, hold your own position, but remember that another person who holds an opposite position, it, it's sin for them not to do it. And you don't want a person to sin against God because that wouldn't honor God in their hearts. And so think about your brother or sister. 
Think about uh, the one who holds a different opinion than you on many things. Ask yourself, am I fully convinced and am I honoring the Lord in how I live out this conviction? Is it to the Lord for his glory? That's our goal. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you that you do speak to us, that you do uh, give us your word, which helps, um, just helps get our convictions under wraps. Because God, we, we know, according to your word, that our heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. We can't trust our hearts. We can't trust our own um, convictions sometimes, or our own persuasion, our own mind. Often we're motivated by selfish ambition, and we don't want that. And so we want to be living in life in, in the body so that we can be uh, in check in our convictions. But we want our convictions to be full. We want to be persuaded. We want to live out our convictions so that we can honor you in our hearts at all times. But we also um, need the grace to allow others to live out convictions that might be different, but we know still are honoring to you. They don't dishonor you. They're just different than ours. Help us, God, to live in that community uh, for your glory and for their good. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.